Ah, wonderful. Thank you, Brother Ms. Nico. Thank you for the great music. A choir, I commend you. I go some places, they have a choir on Sunday morning and an ensemble on Monday night and maybe a quartet uh, by the end of the week. But your choir was strong, just as many people there as there were Sunday morning. I appreciate that great crowd tonight. Thank you, church. I'm glad I'm in a local church revival meeting. A lot of para-church organizations out there. And uh, do you know what? God didn't ordain a ministry. He did not uh, bleed and die on the cross. The Lord Jesus for a ministry. He you know, instituted and Jesus died for the church. And I, I appreciate it. Nobody can be right with God and wrong with a local church. And I'm so grateful to be part of what the Lord's doing here. Sure enjoyed seeing the Lord work yesterday and being involved, getting to know some of you. Thank you. Thank you for the good meal we had yesterday at noon. Preacher took me out again today at lunch and appreciate that. And all the music has just been fabulous. I didn't say much about my voice. The, the doctor said uh, that 75% of the patient's in my condition, would regain 80 to 90% of their voice. And the rest became country singers. <laughs> so, I was down in Texas the other day, I picked up the belt and the boots and the bolo, just in case. Hebrews chapter 12. Thank you for being obedient last night. We had a very good time of testimonies. I had not intended to preach this sermon in this meeting. I hadn't even thought about it. And last night, I believe the Spirit of God spoke to me and said that this was what I ought to talk about tonight. So glad my friend with Shane Hill is here. I looked it up. I've preached for him 10 times in the last 15 years. Only seven of those times did I cause a church split. So, but a faithful servant of the Lord and appreciate he and some of his good men being here. Stand with me if you would please as we read the word of God, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I used to think that meant if I don't have peace and holiness in my life, I won't see God. Probably true. But I believe what the Word of God is telling us here is that unless I demonstrate peace and holiness in my life, no one will see the Lord in me. Now, I know some people and they're real easy to get along with. They get a lot of peace, but they'll do anything for any situation and go along with anything that's wrong. They have peace with them and holiness. I know some people, they're as separated as they can be, but they're ornery. And they're fighting people all the time. They don't have much peace. But in the Bible, they go together. Looking diligently Lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness 
springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward when he would have inherited the blessing he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance though he sought it carefully with tears. Lord, would you help and direct and guide and empower me by your spirit? Would you speak to each of us? I'm very mindful of the effort that it took for some of us to get here. For the busy schedule, the many interferences that have been placed in our paths. And I'd sure like to be a help. I sure appreciate this wonderful pastor and his great family. I'd like to help him. I'd like to help this marvelous church. Lord, I acknowledge I can no more help them than you help me. So please direct me and use me. I will leave out anything you don't want said to add anything you do want said. And bless and meet with us, bind Satan and the unclean spirits that serve him and help nothing to interfere with us receiving the good seed of your perfect word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Bless the preaching, bless the invitation, guide us, help us be obedient, yielded, willing to do what you say, easy for you to steer. Amen. Maybe seated. A few years back, our theme at First Baptist of Bridgeport was looking unto Jesus. That's the first verse of Hebrews 12. So I preached through the 12th chapter of Hebrews. And after some weeks, maybe months, I got to this part of the chapter and I thought, well, this will be a good review because I've been preaching on bitterness for a long time. My first book, the Lord ever let me have put in print as a chapter on bitterness. But I got to this passage and began to study it, meditate on it. And I saw something I had never seen before. Now, here's a free thought. If you hear a preacher preach and he tells you the Bible means something, you go, huh, I'd have never known it meant that if he hadn't told me. It's probably not true. There are things in the scripture, the Bible says, hard to be understood. But generally speaking, the Bible was not written in the Da Vinci Code. But you hear a preacher preach and say, wow, I never saw that before, but that's what it says, then that's probably true. I'm going to make four statements, then three points to the sermon. But when I get to point three, ladies, don't put your shoes on. Because you got like 18 subpoints. Statement number one everyone has been hurt. Everybody. I don't normally say this here, but I think I will. Part of the problem with the generation we baby boomers erroneously raised, having listened to too much. Dr. Spock and not, a, not, not enough of Proverbs. 
is that they think any hurt to them is cause for them to just sit around and feel sorry for themselves and blame the rest of the world for the rest of their lives. I was in fourth grade, public school, Detroit, Michigan. There was paint on my face. The art teacher came by and slapped me in the face. She said, don't paint your face. I said, I didn't paint my face. Helen Soika painted my face. Oh, she went, she slapped Helen Soika twice. I went home, told my mother. My mother said, you tell her she can spank you whenever she wants, but she can't slap your face. I did not deliver that message. So that's why I now have a podcast against art teachers. No, big deal. Everybody's been hurt. Now, some people have been genuinely, terribly, seriously, wickedly hurt. Number two, these hurts can turn to bitterness. They don't have to. But they can. Bitterness is a hurt you hang on to. Number three, God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. Looking diligently, the same man fail of the grace of God. And we say grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is unmerited favor. I'm fine with all that. But grace is much more than unmerited favor. If I came by your house and I said, might I please have a sandwich? I'm hungry. And you made me a nice peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I would be grateful, but I would not go to your preacher and say, wow, you won't believe the incredible grace one of your members showed me. They gave me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Unmerited favor. I wouldn't call it grace. But if I went by your house, I took an ice pick and punctured all the tires of all your vehicles. Knocked over the plants you just put in the ground. Soaked your windows, waxed your screens. Put gas sugar down the gas tanks of your cars. Turned your dog loose. Pulled laundry off the line, kicked it in the dirt. And then came to your house and said, I'm hungry. Might I please have a sandwich? If you gave me a sandwich, then that would be grace. Grace is much more than unmerited favor. It is favor shown to those who have great demerit. When the Lord Jesus died for us, we were his enemies. So, for the purpose of our discussion tonight, grace is giving good to people who deserve bad. Now, this far I would preach. I would teach. I would counsel. And I'd say you got a root of bitterness in you. It's a, it's a cancer that eats you up from the inside out. It's a poison that you feed yourself. Get it out. Get it out. Get rid of the root of bitterness. And people would come to an altar. Deal with it. And it would work for a while. And then something would happen. 
an anniversary of a terrible event. A daughter turned the same age as her mother was when something really awful happened to the mother. Somebody coming back into your life hadn't been there for a while. And all those feelings and all those thoughts and all those hurts would come roiling back up to the surface. And you say, oh, I thought I dealt with it. I guess it didn't work. Can I suggest something to you? There is nothing in our text about removing the root of bitterness. The assumption of our passage is the roots are always there. I live on 10 acres. Got a lot of trees. Got a lot of buckthorn. It's a nasty, noxious tree. Grows fast. Got thorns on it. Tangles up with other trees. And I'm declaring war on buckthorn. Got a bunch of chainsaws. A man of my skill level requires at least two chainsaws. So that when I get one stuck in the tree, I can cut it out with the other one. <laughs> Got a big wood chipper on the back of my tractor. And recently, I bought a stump grinder. We've been clearing out, making the area around our house and around our pond look more like a park and less like a forest. And I'll go in and I'll take that stump grinder and I'll grind that stump down so low that you can't even see it was there. But you know what happens with buckthorn? Some little shoots grow up again. Even though I, you know why? Because I ground down the stump, but I didn't take out all the roots. The assumption is, I believe, the inference, if not the direct indication of our text, the roots always remain, and every once in a while they spring up. That's sure what happens, isn't it? So here's statement number four. Everybody's been hurt. These hurts can turn to bitterness. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. But number four, dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise which must be repeated every time the hurts spring up. Somebody said it this way. Every once in a while, I need to remind myself that I forgave them. Now, we don't like exercise. We want pills to make us better, surgeries to fix us. But a lot of things in the Bible come by exercise. We're told to exercise ourselves unto godliness. Uh, we are given a great deal in the Bible. Uh, look up the word daily. You find the daily duties of a child of God. We're to take up our cross daily. Uh, God gave manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness every day except the Sabbath day. They had to go to him every day for sustenance, every day for strength, every day for help. I exercise. I always tell people that because they would not suspect so otherwise. I did an hour today on the elliptical. Three to six hours most every week on the elliptical. I'm getting very good at it, 
And I think maybe while I'm here, I'm going to actually start moving the pedals. Now, here's the deal. If I exercise as hard as I possibly could, if I gave it all I had, and you could measure everything about me before and after the exercise, my cardiovascular capacity, my heart rate, my blood pressure, everything about me, every health indicator, there would be so little difference that you couldn't even tell. If you have to choose between exercising once or never, choose never. I see some of you have. But if I exercise over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it has effect. I, I could show you on my Fitbit app, my resting heart rate. I just had a curiosity went back. The highest it's been this year is 57. The lowest it's been this year is 51. I'm generally in the low to mid 50s on my heart rate because of the cumulative effect of repeated exercising. And I have low arresting heart rate and low cholesterol and low IQ. <laughs> Dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience. But an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurt springs up. So let's look at our text. The Bible talks about roots. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. A few thoughts about roots. Number one, roots are covered. You have a lot of trees around here. Beautiful area. Winding roads. I don't like that so much. I like straight roads. Nice hills. And I've heard people compliment leaves on a tree, flowers, fruit, branches, the bark, but I've never heard anybody say, wow, look at the roots on that tree. They're covered. I don't see you tonight. I see expression you choose to place on your face. Pretended attention. Bored indifference. I don't see you. It's covered. Number two, these roots are caustic. There's some experiences we've had. There's some things that have happened. There's some people, and the mere memory of them can cause uh, us to just pucker up like we've been sucking on a lemon. It's bitter. But these roots come up. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Let me uh, talk to you a minute about how we think. We say, well, you know, I was a little out of sorts, but I'm not, that's not me. I'm not really like that. So let me ask you a question. Didn't tell you there'd be a quiz, but you're a very intelligent crowd. If I squeeze an orange really hard, what will come out? Orange juice, very good. Second and final question. Why will orange juice come out of the orange when I squeeze it really hard? Because that's what was in it. If I squeeze it hard enough, could I get grapefruit juice? If I squeeze it just right, could I get tomato juice? 
No, I can never get anything out of it, no matter how hard I squeeze it, that's not already in it. Nobody ever hit their thumb with a hammer and then said a bad word they'd never heard. Wasn't in there, didn't come out. These roots are caustic, they're covered, they come up. I heard about a young man who was preaching one of his early sermons with a child. He had worked real hard. He borrowed from a lot of famous preachers of the past. He's preaching along. A dear old saint lady sitting on the aisle a couple of rows back thought she recognized the source. And she just said out loud, that's D.L. Moody. Well, it was. But the young man, that was a little rude of her to bring that to everybody's attention. But he ignored it. He preached on a little further. And she recognized another source. And she said, that's Charles Spurgeon. So he kind of glared at her. Figured that make her behave herself. Didn't affect her a bit. And he preached a little further and she recognized the source again. She said, that's Billy Sunday. He had all he could take. He said, lady, would you shut up and let me finish my sermon? And she said, that's you. <laughs> yeah. The unkind words in the car on the way here. The irritable response to the question from a spouse. The harsh treatment of a child. That's you. The roots are covered. They're caustic. But everyone else, well, they come up. Number two. I want you to notice from our text not only the roots of bitterness, but the results of bitterness. Now, this is fascinating. Lest any root of bitterness springing up, next two words, same with me if you got it, trouble you. Well, isn't that interesting? Why do we hang on to those hurts? Why do some people repeatedly tell people all the bad things that happened to them and all that they've been through and you get to know somebody a little bit and they're going to tell you that story and they're going to remind you of it again and again. Well, I'll tell you, I remember that. There's something so terrible they should never be forgotten and they cannot be forgiven. That person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. But the Bible says that the first result of bitterness is difficulty for you. How about that? I was in college. There's a young man there. His dad was a preacher. My dad was a preacher. They were friends. The young man was not in my life. He was not a friend. He was not an enemy. I knew who he was. That was it. And one day my dad came to me and he said that this young man had told his dad that I said I hated his guts and I wanted to punch his face. I said, Dad, I never said that. My dad said, well, son, you need to make it right. And I replied with the wisdom of a college sophomore. Dad, why should I make it right? I didn't do anything wrong. Looking for a little help. Didn't get any. Hey. Who is responsible to take the initiative, 
to restore relationship when there's a problem between Christian brothers and sisters? Is it the person who took offense or the person who caused the offense? Who is it? Well, let's look at the Bible. Matthew chapter 5. Lord Jesus speaking. Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if thou bringest thy gift to the altar, and there rememberers that thy brother hath ought against thee. So you're the problem, maybe right or wrong, but he's offended because of something you did. Leave there thy gift before the altar. I like that part. Don't stop tithing. Leave your gift before the altar. First, go be reconciled to the brother. Then come and offer thy gift. So the Lord Jesus clearly says, if you cause the offense, you go to your brother, hey, I know you're disturbed with me. I know you love the Lord. I'm sure I must have done something to cause this. I'd like to take care of it. Tell me what I can do. But in Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus says, if you have aught against your brother, go to your brother alone and try to be reconciled to me. Here's you, you've gained your brother. So Matthew chapter 18, he said, if you've taken offense, you go and make it right. He said in Matthew 5, if you've caused the offense, you go and make it right. In other words, Jesus said, don't sit around arguing about whose fault it is. Just go and get it taken care of. Amen. So I went to this young man. I said, my dad said that your dad said that you said that I said that I hated your guts and I wanted to punch your face. And I said, I never said that. Now, you know what happened. Spirit of God convicted him because of his slander against me. He burst into tears. He fell in my arms. He begged forgiveness. He became a businessman, very wealthy. In fact, he just wrote me a check for $500,000 to help in our ministry. This is a tough crowd. I'm discerning a significant lack of acceptance of what I just said. No, you know what he said? Oh, it's all right. It's all right. You lied about me. You got me in trouble with my dad. You're not even going to acknowledge your fault. And it's all right. Well, it didn't work, did it? I don't know. I obeyed the Bible. I honored my father. I did what I was supposed to do. I had a clear conscience. Amen. Years went by. That's probably 51, 52 years ago. I uh, graduated, was a youth pastor two years, became pastor in Bridgeport. We are having a big day. Trying to have, for the first time in the history of our church, 500 in Sunday school. And this young man's dad had a singing group as part of his ministry. So I invited the group ensemble with 13 or 14 people in it to come be part of our church service. They came and sang. The young man and I we had a good time. We talked about the Lord's work, our friends, what they're doing, where they're serving. A couple weeks later, I got a letter from him. Dear Brother Ouellette, I thought I needed to write you and tell you that for all these years, I have harbored against you not bitterness. Here's another freebie. I have very limited success 
in helping bitter people see that they are bitter. I'll show them the Bible. I'll tell them what they've said to me. I'll say, it looks to me like you have an issue with bitterness. And Brother Ingram, the normal response is, I'm not bitter. <laughs> Got it. Don't know how I made that mistake. Not bitterness, he said, but a trace of resentment, which I believe is Greek for bitterness. <laughs> now, the young man and I are fine. He's not young, I'm not young. He was at my mom's funeral, my dad's 85th birthday. I did his brother-in-law's, uh, preached at the church after his brother-in-law's funeral, and we're good. But what I want you to understand is all that time that he harbored against me, that trace of resentment, it never bothered me once. Never kept me from enjoying a meal with my wife, fellowship with the people in our church, serving God. No, no, the first result of bitterness is difficulty for you. It is a poison you feed yourself. It is a cancer that eats you up from the inside out. But then the Bible says, this any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Difficulty for you, defilement for others. I believe I won't take time to go into detail. That in our text, Esau is an example of one who is defiled by the bitterness of his mother. He married who he married because he saw his parents didn't like it. He's called a profane person, no place for God in his life. He's called a fornicator. It is amazing how often bitterness and immoral behavior go together. See, Rebecca was told by God that Jacob would be the leader, and she didn't see it happening. And her husband Isaac was about to give the blessing to Esau. So you know the story. Husband was blind, dressed up Jacob in Esau's clothing, killed a goat, made it be, uh, taste like the venison that Jacob, Isaac was waiting for from Esau, had Jacob go in and lie to her husband and to his father. Bitterness never stops with you. I've been in churches, Brother Hill, where a cloud covered everything. I could use my most touching illustration. I could tell my funniest joke. I preach my favorite sermon, and nothing would pierce the darkness. And I stayed long enough to find out the preacher was bitter. Oh, he'd been badly treated. I understood why he was hurt. But the bitterness didn't stop with him. It defiled the congregation. You better not stay bitter. It won't stop with you. It'll affect your children. It'll affect your family. It'll affect the people you try to win and try to disciple and try to minister to. It never stops with you. It always Defiles, the Bible says, many. Amen. The results of bitterness, difficulty of you, defilement for others. But notice, if you will, the remedy for bitterness. Now, essentially, the remedy in our passage is grace. 
looking diligently to see men fail of the grace of God. If you do that, when the root of bitterness springs up, it'll harm you. It'll defile many because you failed of the grace of God. Let me break it down a little bit. How can I do good to people who deserve bad? How can I be kind to the people that have hurt me deeply and harmed me greatly? Well, I'll tell you one way I do that. I do that because I have faith. So I told you that that quiz was over. Here's another one. Answer out loud. Question number one, is there a God? Yeah, you did well. Better than the Democrats at their convention several years ago. Does he love you? Did he promise to work all things together for good? If you loved him or called according to his purpose, do you believe that? Then nobody, no matter how evil or wicked they are, can mess up your life. Amen. See, Joseph said, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. God put me in that pit and God put me at Potiphar's and God put me in the prison and God put me in the palace. Amen. You know, if you're right with God, the worst your adversary can do is be the unwitting instrument of God to accomplish his will in your life. Faith. Amen. Roger Powell is from this area. He was our music director for 12 years. His wife teaches some of your folks in the church, great, great people. One Wednesday night, I walked into church and his little daughter, Jessica, I think she's about seven or eight years old. Beautiful little girl. Ran up, gave me a big hug. She said, Uncle Preacher, I'm going to God's country tonight. They were coming back to Georgia to be in a wedding. I gave her some money. Told her to share it with her siblings. They'd rented a van to make the journey a little bit nicer. They got about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half away from our church. The roads were clear, but there was an overpass that was icy. And when they went over the overpass, the van slid and went out of control and smacked into a guardrail. It wasn't a bad accident. Minor damage, bruises, didn't really require treatment. Except that the window by Jessica's seat popped out when the van smacked the guardrail. She was lying on the floor trying to sleep. And the impact threw her out that now empty window and she smashed to the pavement and died. Brother Powell called me. I went down in the middle of the night, picked him up. Drove he and his family back. And here's what he said on the way back, hours after his daughter had died. He said the chaplain came up to him. He'd been to chaplain school, didn't know the Bible, but he'd been to chaplain school. And he said, well, there are some things God can't help. Not my God. Our God sitteth in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he pleased. 
And then he said, but God wants to help us through those things that he cannot help. When Roger Powell, in the early hours of shock and grief from that terrible experience, looked into the eyes of that unsaved man, and he said, Mr., this was not an accident. This was an appointment. Faith. We say, what's good about that? I didn't say it was good. God didn't say it was good. What he did say was all things work together for good. We uh, printed a tract for Brother Powell that he wrote about Jessica, put her picture on the front. Printed thousands and thousands and thousands of copies. I'm sure hundreds, if not thousands of people have been saved through that track. People come from other churches to our church and say, hey, can I get some copies of the Jessica track? Every two years at our Christian school, we do a big Pants the Pirate play. Big deal. All kind of scenery. About three times as many songs as are on the CD that the story's from. And that year, we're doing a play about being a missionary. Pants the Pirate goes to the jungle. And since Jessica always wanted to be a missionary, we dedicated the play to her. Put a picture on the back of the program. Play was done. I gave the invitation. And the young man, Rodney Rupel, came from over here. And he said, Preacher, I believe God wants me to be a missionary. A young lady came behind him, Becky Swain. She said, Preacher, I think God wants me to be a missionary. They went off to Bible college. They got married. They have been for over 25 years serving faithfully and effectively on the field of Cambodia. I don't know all that God was doing, but I know some things he was doing. Faith. I can do good to people who deserve bad because I believe God. Number two is forgiveness. Second remedy. Well, I know you got to forgive and forget. Not really. Your mind is so constructed that you never really forget anything. Now, you can't remember it when you want to. Like the two old guys talking, one said to another, how are you feeling? He said, I'm doing a lot better since I got on that new medicine. He said, really, what are you taking? He said, oh, man. He said, uh, what's the name of that flower? It's usually red, smells pretty, it's got thorns on it. He said, Rose. Yeah, yeah. He said, hey, Rose, what's the name of that medicine I've been taking? <laughs> Not as bad as the two old guys sitting on their rocking chairs on the porch. One looked at the other and said, I always forget, was it you or your brother that was killed in the war. <laughs> no, forgiving doesn't mean forgetting. The literal meaning of the word forgive is to cancel a debt. So, I borrow $10 from Brother Childs, and I say, I'll pay you tomorrow. I see him tomorrow and say, Brother Childs, I'm sorry I forgot. I see him maybe at lunchtime. I'll bring the money tonight. I, bring, I come tomorrow night and say, I'm sorry I forgot the money. I'll give it to you Wednesday. I say, Wednesday, I'm sorry I forgot. I see him again next week. I'm sorry, Brother Childs, I forgot. And he says, Brother Willette, I've got lots of money. I don't need the money. I'll just forgive your debt. He can do that. He can also say, Brother Willette, 
10 bucks is no big deal to me, but I would like to think of you as an honest man who keeps his word and honors his obligations. And I'd be grateful if you'd at some point give me the money back. He can do that. What he cannot do is tell me he forgives me and tell you that I still owe him money. Because once he forgives me, I don't owe him anything. And once you forgive people, they don't owe you anything. Forgive. Faith. And then the third part is to fight. Now, you're going to like this part, you fighting fundamentalists. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The battle for success or failure, victory or defeat in your Christian life is fought and waged and won or lost in your mind. Whoever controls your mind controls you. Now, not every thought you think is your fault. The devil can put thoughts in your mind. That's what the Bible says about Ananias and Sapphira. Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie against the Holy Ghost? He cannot read your mind, but he can put thoughts there. Bob Jones Sr. said it like this. You cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest in your hair. My method is to give very little material. So here's what you do. Tom Malone was a friend and loved him dearly. A lot of good times with him. He told a great story. He's driving in the car and the devil is bothering him. So he stopped the car, he pulled over to the curb, he opened the door and he said to the devil, this is my car. The title's in my name. I pay the insurance, I buy the gas, I pay the note, you get out. Great story. Not how it's done. When the Lord Jesus was tempted by the devil, he answered every temptation with scripture. If you're really the son of God, turn these stones to bread. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Well, I know some Bible too. It said he wouldn't let you dash your foot against a stone. So jump off the pinnacle of the temple. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he took him to a high place and showed him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said, all this shall be thine if thou wilt bow down and worship me. And he said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Three times he answered with the word of God. So you get you a Bible verse that answers the issue. You memorize it. Before you memorize it, put it on a card. Have it on your phone. Have it pop up every once. Have it accessible. And every time that thought comes, every time that temptation comes, you quote the word of God. Now, I can't prove what I'm about to suggest. But I believe you may have to do it a thousand times a day at first. 
But after a while, maybe I'm going to do it 500 times a day and 200 and 150. Hardly ever. Because I think the devil will get tired of every time he tries to draw you from God, chasing you back to God, and he'll leave you alone. Faith. Forgiveness. Fight. I heard the story of a young lady who had been attacked and abused in the most awful manner imaginable. She went to her pastor, and he gave her really strange but biblical advice. He said, well, the Bible says you need to love your enemies. Ouch. It does, but I don't know if that's what I want to hear right then. But our Bible is so helpful, so clear, so wonderful. It goes on to tell us exactly how to do that. It says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. So it says, you say good things about them. You do good things to them. You pray for them. And this young lady covenanted, for that's what she'd do. She wouldn't say anything bad about her attackers. I find some good to say. She may be sending anonymous gifts. Others in prison, personal money to buy personal things. And she prayed, not for God to judge him, not for God to send him away for a long time, but for God to save him, for God to help him. And it did not happen all at once. It was an exercise. But gradually, over a period of time, the cloud lifted and she went on to have a wonderful, happy, normal life, married, had children. Years later, she's in a grocery store and she comes around the end of an aisle and finds herself face to face with that man. He had served his sentence, been released from prison. And she looked into his eyes and felt nothing. The word of God consistently applied over a long period of time had given her victory. Everybody's been hurt. These hurts can turn to bitterness. God tells us to respond to these hurts with grace. But dealing with these hurts is not a one-time experience, but an exercise that must be repeated every time the hurt springs up. Lord, best I know I did what you want me to do tonight. Would you do what only you can do? And by your spirit, apply the truth of your word to all of our hearts.